0: Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, a
1: multi-billion dollar contract for Boeing. This was in Canada's national interest to make this decision. Ottawa chooses the US
0: aerospace company to supply Canada with new surveillance planes, but did so without entertaining any other bids, including one from Bombardier. Why wasn't a Canadian alternative considered? We'll speak with Defence Minister Bill Blair. And.
2: Those local media outlets will receive very little and possibly nothing at all.
0: This bill has killed them. Did Ottawa give in to Google? Why is the tech company's payment threshold much lower than expected? We will speak with the Heritage Minister Pascal Senange. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. After much speculation, Ottawa made it official today, signing a contract to acquire up to 16 P-8A Poseidon aircraft to replace Canada's aging Aurora surveillance planes. Now the contract is worth over $10 billion, but it is coming under scrutiny for being sole-sourced and for choosing an American maker without
1: investigating a Canadian alternative. There's a high degree of uncertainty around cost, around schedule of delivery, and ultimately about operational effectiveness. The certainty of this platform, because it is in use among our allies, and the fact that it met all of the requirements that the Air Force uh, defined for us, really made this not only the right choice, but frankly the only choice.
0: Well, of course, that was the Defence Minister you just heard, and Bill Blair joins us right now on the program. Minister, thank you for joining us. Of course, Michael. Listen, I want to begin uh, with some reaction here to your decision with the P-8 Poseidon, a uniform which, as you know, represents many of this country's aerospace workers. They're criticizing what essentially was this sole source procurement process, and they say, by not considering a Canadian alternative, your government is doing great harm to workers in this country. How do you respond to that?
1: Yeah, I would just simply remind them, first of all, when we, when we entered into this agreement to purchase the P-8, uh, we have negotiated a, a pretty significant investment uh, benefits package for the country, which will result in, in billions of dollars being invested in Canadian industry. Um, it's going to create as many as 3,000 jobs right across Canada. And, and additionally, it's going to add about $358 million uh, to our gross domestic product. These, these are pretty significant benefits. Um, and as well, I, I would just also simply point out to them, these are benefits that will begin almost immediately because this is the plane that's already, it has these capabilities and it's in production. Every other alternative that, that we looked at was, was a development uh, proposal rather, rather than a plane. There was only one plane that met the, the capability requirements of, of the Royal Canadian Air Force, and that, that was the Poseidon, and so that's the one we went with. And in, and in purchasing that, those benefits will begin almost immediately the alternative was was filled with uncertainty because you know when in a development project it does require a long time to go through a, a different type of procurement process it also requires time in 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 development well before production could possibly begin and 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 as a consequence there's a lot of uncertainty around schedules and and capability um, and cost. And, and so I, I, my responsibility is to get the, the Canadian Air Force what they need, and this is what they said they needed. And so we've delivered that. But I would want to assure the workers at UNIFOR we, we care very much about Canadian workers, and this is going to actually secure about 3,000 Canadian jobs.
0: Okay, 3,000 Canadian jobs, I, I hear what you're saying, but, but how do you address uh, the concerns that were brought up by the Quebec government, by the Ontario government, the, the Bloc Québécois uh, today in the House, basically saying that uh, you're ignoring the workers and uh, Bombardier, Canadian, Quebec uh, company, with this choice?
1: I, I, would, I would want to assure them that not simply, that's simply not true. Uh, first of all, we, we looked at, there are also workers in the Canadian Armed Forces and the Royal Canadian Air Force, we wanted to make sure that we delivered the capability that they required. That not only did we provide them with a platform the plane, that they needed to do their job, but it it was a safer plane. It it has much greater capability in doing the job. It will make them more effective, but it'll also help them keep them safe while they're doing the job. And at the same time, I, you know, there is a very real difference between a, a we looked at, in the national interest, we believed that we needed to meet those capabilities for the Canadian Armed Forces as quickly as possible. There was only one option available to us. There was only one plane that met those requirements. That was the Poseidon P-8. The, the, all the other, and there were was, was many other companies that, that had proposed an, a, a, a development option they didn't have a plane that met those requirements, but they had an interest in developing them. And so if, if we got in there, there was no guarantee that any company would have been successful um, in that procurement process. And I think a lot of people have made an assumption that, that, that it was a competition between you know, two companies as opposed to many. Uh, but the reality was there was one plane that met the requirements. That's the plane that we bought because that's the plane we need right now. And, and it, had, it had those requirements. I I have great confidence in Canadian aeronautic industry um, and, you know, there are some really great companies um, out there, but they did not have a plane that met these requirements. And unfortunately, right now, we needed that plane.
0: Okay, you know, you you keep referencing the requirements, Minister. Walk us through exactly what were you looking for? What does this plane need to achieve?
1: Yeah, there are a number of things. We we use that plane primarily, um, the best way to describe it is a submarine hunter. And so it had to be able to, to... have the equipment, the new modern equipment, the new technology that enables uh, them to do that. There are also um, other requirements with respect to, it, it's primarily around le- defense and lethality, as well as the, the, the capability of, of, of holding a significant play- payload um, in order to carry the electronic equipment that is necessary to do that increasingly difficult job. I'll um, also, uh, also tell you, the, the, the Air Force has told us very clearly that submarine detection and hunting and tracking, which is their primary mission, has become increasingly difficult because some of our air adversaries have been significantly changing the threat environment and, and investing in, in greater stealth and persistence and lethality um, in, in their submarines. Those, those planes are also used for search and rescue. They have a number of other you know, very significant requirements. The Canadian Armed Forces defined that for us, and we went looking to what, what was available and what could be made available to deliver on that. And frankly, there was only one option. It was not only the right choice, it was the only choice. And that was the Poseidon P-8. And so that's why we made that decision to purchase that plane, and because, because it, it answered the requirements, as, as I've said a number of times, of, of the Air Force. And it was the only one that did that.
0: Okay, the only choice. But it was also clearly Washington's choice. Does that create any optical issue for your government?
1: No, well, I I, I would hope not because, frankly, I want to be really clear. This was Canada's choice. Canada began looking at this in in, in 2017. um, The then-Defense Minister, Minister Sajid, began... Um, an initiative under the strong, secure, and engaged defense policy to begin looking at the replacement of of, of the the, the CP-140. There has been a lot of work done over the last couple of years, and by my immediate predecessor, Minister Inan, to try to find if if there were any alternatives that met the requirements of the, the armed forces. There are, I think, real advantages, by the way, in, in this particular model, because it is being used by all of our Five Eyes partners. It's used by, not just by the United States, but by the United Kingdom, by Australia, by New Zealand, and a number of our NATO European allies as well. And so that interoperability, and to some extent even interchangeability on those planes, actually makes it safer and more effective for, for our people. But the decision to make this choice, the decision about this plane, we actually asked, we had to ask the, the US government if they would consider selling us this plane. But the decision to purchase it was made entirely in, in Canada, in, in, in consideration of Canada's best interest. I believe that this is in the best interest of, of our Air Force. It's in the best interest of Canadians. This is going to help our people do the important job of keeping our country safe, to, to, to support and, and extend Arctic sovereignty, to hold up our responsibilities to NATO, to NORAD, and in the Indo-Pacific, it's a safer platform for our people than the one they currently work on, it's going to enable them to do the job.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the procurement, of course, as you know very well, has been an issue in this country, continues to be an issue with this country. So talk to us a bit about the time frame here, because it, it, the option is upwards of 16 uh, Poseidons. But how quickly are we going to see this? How quickly will they be in service in this country?
1: Yeah, The first, the first ones will be delivered within two years. We already have the opportunity to train our crews on some of our allies' planes. As a matter of fact, I had, I had four uh, of our Air Force aviators um, in the room today at our press conference announcing this, all of whom fly in the, in the 140s, one of whom is actually already trained on the P-8. And so we'll, we'll begin training our crews. because And there is there, I think it, it'll be a fairly easy transition for them, because our people are exceptionally well-trained and, and very adaptable to the new environment. Um, but at the same time, we expect to see the first of these planes delivered within two years and all of them delivered by 2028. Um, that's, that's very significant because it's going to enable us to manage a, an effective transition between the, the CP140 and the, and, and the P8 plane. We're going to have to continue to maintain those 140s. They'll remain in service until replaced by, by, by the P8, but that transition now, we have a very clear schedule on when those planes will be delivered. And that certainty is going to be very helpful to the RCAF in determining when to train their people. And some of the transition and in infrastructure that we're going to have to put in place in both Greenwood, Nova Scotia, and Comox, uh, BC, this is where these planes are going to be, to, be, to, be, to be based. We've got some work to do in those places to support the, the, the new fleet. And so that work can proceed. And we've got a pretty certain schedule about when this deli- these deliveries will be able to take place.
0: Minister Bill Blair, I always appreciate the time. Thank you for this.
1: Of course, Michael. Have a good day. You too.
0: Well, let's continue the conversation now. Joining us is our weekly political panel. Susan Smith, Principal with the Blue Sky Strategy Group. Tim Powers, Chairman of SUMA Strategies. And Anne McGrath, the NDP's National Director. Hello to the three of you. Hello. So here, let's start here with Boeing, because here we have this multi-billion dollar contract being awarded to an American company, not considering a, a Canadian alternative. Is that a mistake? I'll ask you to start us off.
2: It's a, ch- it's a more than a simple question like that, Michael. Mm-hmm. The issue is it's 50 we have we have to replace planes that are 50 years old we have to do it reasonably quickly and we have to look at what our partners are doing as well so when you look at the life what's left in the service life of the planes that are there they're going to be done in six years so can we get a brand new aircraft that's never been tested that's built to spec on time on budget given the history of our procurement system I would submit Best efforts have never yielded that. So I think what the government did was make a prudent decision. They need surveillance aircraft. Our allies use the similar aircraft, and it's the fastest way to get new equipment to our people. And but the, the other side is there'll be investment from the company into the Canadian economy.
0: Yeah, which is the argument they're hearing. Although we have heard from the unions, we heard from Unifor as well as aerospace unions, uh, machinist unions. They wanted a Canadian alternative, and they say this is a huge opportunity missed. What do you say, Dan?
3: Well, and I think that there was t- like it's been headed in this direction for some time, and maybe they should have ripped this bandage off earlier and and actually done what they looked like they were going to do anyway. Um, but I think that the, the, in particular Unifor and the other unions, they have a, they have a point. And, and the other thing about this is that, you know, there's that whole sa- old saying about in politics, if you're explaining, you're losing. There are a lot of explanations about, you know, it may be that that's what they had to do. But when you have to explain that much about the jobs, the Canadian companies, the geography, all of the things that go into that, I think you've got a problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tim, and I'm asking you last because you have a dog in the fight on this one, uh, what do you or say? Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> to, dog to your lead-in. <laughs> yes, Sumer
4: represents Boeing, so uh, obviously I have a little bit of a conflict here. Uh, I, I would say a few things. I'd pick up on something uh, Susan said. I don't think we know what a good procurement process is in Canada, and that's not a political comment. That different governments have tried different things, and we're still trying to find one. So I guess judgment on this one will be determined after the fact. On the the aging fleet and the fleet that doesn't work, I think as we have seen, the need was probably now rather than later. So they're buying now. They're going to spend nine billion dollars now. They being the government of Canada, rather than waiting to see what the price may be for an aircraft that isn't used by our Five Eyes partners. This is used by the other Five Eyes partners. And I'd, I'd say, look, uh, Anne and makes a fair point about unions and Bombardier and the governments of Quebec and Ontario, but there's nothing preventing those governments uh, and in turn helping those unions by buying water bombers, as these things are, uh, for their own provinces too. Uh, every province tends to have a fleet of these uh, of, of water bombers or a couple of water bombers. That can be done there if there's concern about that. The last thing I'd say, and this is not a shot at Bombardier, but their product is developmental at this stage. There's nothing preventing them from bringing this on stream later on or fulfilling provincial needs as they exist.
0: Okay, I hear what you're saying, but you know, given the number of interested parties here, will there be a political price for, for going sole-sourced here?
2: I think there'll be some noise. There's no question. I mean, the premiers of Quebec and Ontario will have to make some noise. I think the long term um, play, though, is how quickly can we actually get planes? How quickly can they help the military? How quickly can they do the jobs that they're supposed to do? There, I do expect a bit of noise at the beginning. But in the end, there will be investment in the Canadian economy. And most importantly, the military will get the kit that it needs. The Air Force will get the planes that it needs to replace 50-year-old aircraft.
0: Mm-hmm. You're, you're nodding very strongly there. Well, again, obviously, we work with uh,
4: work with Boeing. But look, Bombardier is a company that's well-invested in by the government of Canada. I think they're going to continue to grow as, a, as an enterprise. So today's disappointment for them uh, will probably not last that long. And again, the governments of Quebec and Ontario have other aircraft options they can purchase for their own particular needs, though, albeit this is a surveillance, aircraft, uh, but uh, yeah, there'll be a little bit of noise, but it'll ultimately be judged on its effectiveness I think. Mm-hmm.
3: There will definitely be a political price, and it won 't be just uh, on, on this it will be it 's the accumulation like it adds it adds to other things right so in Quebec and Ontario, there is often a perception that these things don 't go don 't benefit uh, the, the people in these provinces. There is a perception that unions aren 't consulted enough and that 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 union um, advice isn 't taken and and those kinds of things so this particular thing won't isn't the isn't the issue. It's the accumulation of other other types of situations like this, okay. and and those things add up, and they and there is a price to pay.
0: Well, speaking of things that potentially adds up, I also want to talk about another government contract, the the, the battery plant being built by Stellantis and, and LG. Of course, billions of dollars from the federal government, Canadian taxpayer money, going towards this project, and then essentially this disclosure that there will be a. a few hundred, I think 900 total foreign workers uh, that will be fitting this this plant. How problematic is that for the government? Uh, how should they react to this bit of news, do you think?
2: Well, I think the government of Ontario and the government of Canada are closely watching this. Uh, the net new jobs for the Stellantis plant will be 2,500 brand new jobs, and we will end up with a new battery plant, EV battery plant, that will, you know, be in place for many, many years. I think it was a surprise that that the Korean company is going to be bringing in some Korean workers to help stand up the operation. Though when you do some reading and you do some digging, it's not quite as dramatic as people mm-hmm. are saying. And I think it's, there's a little bit to be pre- expected with proprietary technology that's going to be stood up. I don't know if the numbers need to be as big as they are. I expect Minister Boissonneau to be looking at the labour market impact uh, assessment, the the applications to bring in to make sure he will look very closely to make sure that there isn't a Canadian worker that can do the work. But I, I don't think it was quite as dramatic as has being said. It It's caused some eyebrows to be raised, definitely. But I think the long term is 2,500 new jobs for, for Canada as soon as this place gets up and moving.
4: Mm-hmm. Tim? Hard to point to an industry in Canada right now that doesn't have foreign workers. So I mean, this stuff gets blown out of proportion. Obviously, the preference is, I think, for all governments and and businesses to have Canadians take the jobs immediately. But that isn't often the case. I mean, this becomes a convenient political argument when the reality is our demography is a challenge, our upskilling takes time. Uh, I think you have to judge this over time, not on the immediate number of foreign workers that are coming in. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So this is a really big project for Southwestern Ontario. We were talking earlier uh, about the, the Bombardier and regionalism and all of that kind of mm-hmm. thing. This is very important for Southwestern Ontario. And I think a lo- there's a lot of support for it uh, mm-hmm. for, from a number, uh, a number of perspectives. I think, to go to the, the point of the others, it, it, the, the key thing here is that it was a surprise. I think there was a lot of support for it both from the environmental, like, you know, the, the value of of EV uh, vehicles and those kinds of things, but very importantly, the jobs. And I think that it was sold on the basis of uh, well-paid, uh, unionized Canadian jobs. And so uh, I, I don't think people were expecting this, this story. So while I think that there's, you know, certainly, you know, you, you can hear the rationale and all of those kinds of things, that, that there there should be, fewer and fewer surprises like this.
0: Mm, Absolutely, Uh, which we've we've heard a little bit about uh, looking more deeply into it. But you know, before we're completely out of time uh, this week, I also want to talk about Danielle Smith because without a doubt, uh, grabbed headlines as as the week started when she invoked the Sovereignty Act. What's your reaction to that? I think
2: that's precisely what Danielle Smith wants to do with the Sovereignty Act. And I think in the end she, and that's what it's about. This is a dangerous piece of legislation in my view, where a minister or the premier of Alberta, if they get a thorn in their shoe A thorn in their side, they can introduce a motion, and if it gets passed, uh, then it goes through several steps before there's challenges. But it's step one is all that they really care about. They want the news, they want the headlines every time they do this, and I think the bottom line will be a net negative effect to Alberta. It's going to destabilize um, investor confidence in the province, and it really. It, it's like a, I don't know, a punch in the nose to our legal system and our democracy and our Constitution, our laws. Uh, you can't just, every time you have a hissy fit, decide you're going to override things. Canadians aren't comfortable with that. It makes people uncertain. But I think in the end, it's going to be a problem for investment in Alberta. People are going to go look to go to more stable jurisdictions.
4: Okay. Yeah, if it isn't more than a show pony, and I think, uh, to Susan's point, they, she often turns it the issue of the sovereignty mm-hmm. act into a show pony. But what else did she do this week? She was hugging Francois-Philippe Champagne. Why? Big investment in Alberta that's going to benefit Alberta and Canada. So if you want to be sovereign on one side and you don't want to, then don't take their money on the other side. So, I mean, the reality is that wherever the check's coming from, I think any premier, be it Daniel Smith or anybody else, will find a way to have an accord. And when you want political distance, sometimes you pick a fight.
0: Yeah. Anne, uh, that's this proud is, daughter of Alberta. Yes.
3: <laughs> this, is, this is Danielle Smith's own personal weapon that she's going to just use whenever she feels that it'll be uh, politically advantageous for her. And that's what she's doing here. You know, I, I think it, it's ridiculous. It makes no sense. It is just like a, a pet peeve kind of thing and you know it goes back to the days of the firewall letter that people know about that was that was drafted and you know I think that she thinks that that the people of Alberta are I don't know what her perception is of the people of Alberta that they want to always fight with Ottawa certainly it's advantageous from time to time to pick a fight with Ottawa but pick it over something that is really uh, substantial and that people get and I think that the problem with some of the things that she's using right now whether it's the sovereignty act or any of the other things that she's talking about like the like the, the the Alberta pension plan, these are not things that the citizens of Alberta are clamoring for. So I think that she's I think she's making some politically
0: um, unstrategic moves. Okay, well we'll leave it at that. Glad to get your reaction on all of that. Uh, so Susan, Tim, and uh, have a great weekend and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Heritage Minister was asked some tough questions today. Pascale saint appearing before committee to explain the deal she and her government reached with Google. Yesterday it was announced the tech giant has agreed to pay media firms for content that appears on its search engine, an important development as Ottawa's Online News Act comes into effect next month. But the dollar figure is far less than Canadian officials were expecting.
2: The deal that was entered
3: into yesterday between Google and the government uh, would actually appear to show that Google forced the hand of the government. Google got everything it wanted, $100 million spent, one agreement, and one collective chosen by Google on their terms. Um, and so it's clear then that big tech is actually in the driver's seat.
0: Well, joining us now is Canada's Minister of Heritage, Pascal Saint-Ange. Minister, thank you for taking the time.
5: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Now, uh, I want to begin here with the financial contribution, because what Google will make under this deal, or give under this deal, is basically 41% lower than what Canadian officials said should be Google's monetary threshold. Are you disappointed by the $100 million in any way?
5: No, not at all, because uh, there was a lot of numbers that were uh, floated during the last uh, year uh, while this uh, law was uh, being discussed. However, um, you know, even in all the other agreements that Google might have around the world, it's never clear how much uh, there is in those agreements uh, when it comes to the monetary aspect and the non-monetary aspect. So what we've secured uh, is uh, $100 million per year, uh, which will be indexed to inflation. Um, And uh, Google will continue to provide uh, other services to our news outlets uh, everywhere in Canada. So it's uh, more valuable than just $100 million. But in the agreement, uh, we wanted to make sure that we secured the monetary part of uh, of, uh, of this.
0: Okay, so, so more than just the $100 million, as you say, because there will be contributions in kind, I guess is the best way to put it. But talk to us about the importance of setting this precedent, because Google uh, was the, the one company that stayed in discussions with the government as Meta pulled out.
5: Well, it's extremely important because uh, you know, one of the things that uh, was said about the Australian agreement and our legislation is based a little bit on the, the Australian model is that the deals were struck behind closed doors. So nobody knows exactly how much uh, Google is paying to the news outlets. and. Neither do we know uh, how many news outlets are actually receiving contribution. In Canada, we chose a legislation. We chose transparency. And we chose uh, to make sure that uh, not only the big uh, news outlets would have access to this deal with Google, but that um, also would be included at the table of discussion local uh, media. Uh, smaller media, independent media, indigenous media, uh, medias of uh, official uh, languages in minority situations. So we, uh, transparency was really important to us.
0: Mm-hmm. So transparency as well as the money. Uh, what impact do you hope this money will actually have on the media landscape in this country?
5: Well, this is an additional piece of the puzzle. We know that the media has been through a big crisis over the last decade because of the disrupt- disruption in the market uh, brought by those uh, super powerful tech giants. Um, and uh, this is a piece of the puzzle to reestablish a little bit more balance between those digital platforms and the new sector, which is vital to democracy. Um, so it's not uh, going to solve everything, uh, but this is hundred million dollars uh, of new dollars that will be injected uh, in the new sector in Canada.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, as you know, a lot of questions are being asked right now as to how much money the CBC Radio Canada will actually get out of that hundred million dollars. Uh, how much of an issue is that for you? How will that actually be addressed?
5: Well, I think it's important that we don't discriminate uh, the type of information and its value when it comes to digital pat- platform. I think uh, you know, the, the news pr- provided by our public broadcaster has value and should be re- recognized by Google. However, I do know that uh, the sector is having a lot of difficulty. I do know that the public broadcaster has strong public support. Uh, So we will balance that out and uh, everything will be be made clear in the final regulations that will come out uh, shortly before the uh, law is enacted on December 19th.
0: Okay, so we'll we'll look for details before December 19th as you say. Uh, You know, one last word from you and and this is more of a, a philosophical thought because as I stated, Google stayed in there, negotiated with the Canadian government. Meta did not. What does that say about a company's social responsibility to be a good corporate citizen?
5: It says a lot. It says that the Meta refuses to, be, to follow uh, government legislation, which is a huge problem. It also shows that Meta is choosing uh, to leave its platform basically to disinformation and misinformation, because we know that the best way to fight against this is to have uh, journalists that cover the news and, and that is based on facts. Now, uh, by preventing Canadians to share important news to family and friends, uh, they're actually, um, in my opinion, uh, leaving their, their platform to uh, really uh, only disinformation. And this is a tendency that we see here in Canada. But uh, Facebook is doing the same thing all over the world, uh, cutting, slowly cutting access to news. We saw that in Europe, uh, they took off the news tab. Um, and in the United States, uh, there's less and less access to news. Uh, so this is extremely uh, worrisome, and I'm wondering what uh, Zuckerberg is doing here.
0: Okay. Well, Minister, I appreciate the time today. Thank you for it.
5: Thank you for having me. Have a good uh, weekend.
0: You do. And that is our program for this Thursday evening. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. Primetime Politics will be back tomorrow. But up next, Esther Jean avec l'essentiel.